I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to House of Champions. My name's James Benj. I'm your host today, joined by Nigel Rio, Coca, Mike Lahoud, and Jonathan Johnson as we preview a stacked weekend of European football. We've got Atletico Madrid against Barcelona. We've got AC Milan Roma. We've got the glamour of the third round of the FA Cup. We'll talk some Chelsea. We'll talk some Robert Lewandowski. That's all on House of Champions right now. Remember, if you're joining us on YouTube, you please do drop us a like, drop us a subscribe. It all helps to build our audience. We love having so many of you along. And make sure you're in that comment section, uh, letting Nigel Rio, Coker and Mike know why they've got their, their hot takes on European football so wrong. And Mike Lahoud, I'm going to start <laughs> with you on the big game of the weekend. Well, mm. I mean, some would say the big game of the weekend in La Liga. Atletico Madrid, slowish, but OK start after uh, the World Cup. And Barcelona, a really quite slow start after the World Cup and uh, some dramatic events in midweek. These two facing off against each other. What we what we thinking? Where, where's our head at going into this big game? Oh, you, you have to start with the big news going into this game. Robert Lewandowski, no mas for the next three games. That is a massive storyline. This guy is leading La Liga in goals, and he is the heart and soul of this FC Barcelona team going up against a stubborn re-convincing stubborn athletic defense for as many of the goals as they've they've been able to score as of late it's the resolution of that back line that's been restored that makes them a handful i think i have to agree with you yeah. mike i think that um oh sorry no you want to go jj my bad sorry pop the gun as always no, 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 I don't mind. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with Mike. I think that, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, Lewandowski now suddenly being hit with that ban is going to, uh, you know, wreak havoc a little bit with uh, Xavi's plans. Uh, you know, I think as well, uh, obviously them getting run close uh, in midweek in the cup, uh, you know, made them go uh, a bit longer than they probably would have planned for that, especially ahead of such a big game. But are Atleti really that much of a worry uh, you know, for you know the the leading lights in uh, La Liga at this moment in time, I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, unless I see a drastically improved Atleti over the space of sort of five games or so, uh, you know, I still think that you know Barca can probably get the job done. And you know, if you if you can get somebody get some goals out of somebody else while Lewandowski's out, uh, I think Barca should be fine. 
Yeah, I, I think of what's the plan B for FC Barcelona when you're so dependent on one player for goals, you look to the likes of your wingers. And I think Ansu Fati, Usman Dembele and Rafinha, they will be looked to and asked to fill in the goal gaps in the next three games. And in this game in particular, going to some of the stats, Atleti, they've actually been very good at home in their last two home games against FC Barcelona. Barcelona, they will feel the pressure, especially with Real Madrid mounting pressure on them with some of their recent results coming off the World Cup break. When I when I look at that front three, potential front three, they, they have pace, they have guile, but they don't match up physically. I think that is where Robert Lewandowski, he adds a bit of extra ability to hold up the ball, to make clever runs in. And I think Usman Dembele, we saw it in the Copa del Rey matchup against Intercity. In the second half, Usman Dembele filled in for is it Fernan, Ferran Torres as a center forward. I think we will see that again against Atleti. And I think that gives Atleti a slight edge against their back three and this front three, where I think the game will come down to is the battle of the midfield. Barcelona, they have the better midfield three. And I think if Barcelona can get more creativity, overload that midfield, then Barcelona will get the edge in this game. And of course, as you were, as you said there, uh, Mike, all three of that those wingers, Usman Dembele, Rafinha and Ansu Fati, did score in that 4-3 win over Intercity, who I, it has to be say, they're not the biggest team in the world. I mean, they're not big enough that Google actually has their badge on file. I'm looking at the Google page of it right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, their, their striker, Soldevia Puig, the uh, first player to score a uh, champion, uh, a hat-trick against Barcelona since Nigel Rio Coca. Would you like to guess who the last player to score a hat-trick against Barcelona in a league, in a competitive mm-hmm. match was? Last player. Ooh. I'm going to go Ronaldo. Ooh. Ronaldo is incorrect. JJ? Oh, JJ's got it. He might know. Yeah, it's Mbappe. Uh, Camp Nou. <laughs> Guys, I've actually, I've actually got a, like, I don't know, to me it's quite a surprising statistic. You know that those goals last night for Intercity, that's mm. half of what Barcelona have conceded throughout the whole La Liga campaign so far. Because we talk so much about the goals that Barca score, uh, you know, and what Lewandowski brings in attack. But if you look at the stats, they've only conceded six goals all season. That's by far and away the best defensive record in La Liga. So, you know, I think coming into a game when you're coming up against one of the stronger teams in La Liga, which Atleti are, despite their, their, you know, their patchy form, uh, you know, I think that it would have been a bigger headache for Xavi if he suddenly had a defensive crisis on his hands, given how solid that back line is. I'm just going to jump in and say for you guys, I think for me, this is one of those interesting games and scenarios, because in my opinion, Lewandowski is a difference maker for Barcelona, as we're seeing domestically. Not so much at Champions League level, which is a bit of a disappointment. Yes, they have the more creative players, as Michael pointed out. But I feel that when Barcelona come across teams like this, and obviously there's our producer, a big Atletico Madrid fan, and he knows this isn't the Atleti of old. This isn't the great Atleti side. But they can be a pain in the ass. And if they can be solid, defensively well-structured, and frustrate Barcelona enough, without the great worry of Lewandowski... This is a game that could be a potential banana slip for Barcelona. And that's what we've seen Barcelona struggle with when they've played top 1% teams in the Champions League. And I can see you all got a little peaky green and smile on your face. I don't know what you're all smiling at. But <laughs> I really do feel that this could be potential. No, it's just Dez has got his violin out in the chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at him. But no, I honestly do. Because we've seen Barcelona mm. struggle with teams like this, especially when it comes to Champions League. We know what they're going to play. They're that beautiful boxer, poised, but they've only got a jab. They don't have that knockout punch, and that's what they've been missing. They re- they invested heavily 
in the summer and it still hasn't turned the corner for them in what they really wanted and needed. So I feel that Atletico, these type of games are the games that could really be coached right tactically to frustrate Barcelona and could be a potential banana slip. What's your score prediction then, Nigel? Mm. I actually would say I'm just going to go against the grain. I know everyone's going to think I'm crazy, but I could actually see a 2-1 Athletic win in this. Mike? Yeah, I I agree with you, Nigel. I think Athletic will win this game because you have the likes of Anton Griezmann coming back in the fold. This guy started the last two matches in all competitions. He's got three assists. Joao Felix, this guy's got three goals in three consecutive games that he's been available for. Lewandowski miss will be a massive one. Atleti will win. JJ, anyone want to say something nice about Barcelona? <laughs> Goal, goalless snooze fest. I mean, at least it's going to be another clean sheet for Barca. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've, my views on this are very clear. It's La Liga. It's generally a snooze fest. So I'm going to agree with JJ. Maybe one all, <laughs> but a boring one all. Um, right, glad we got that wow. out of the way. Now we can talk about the proper league, starting, of course, and you can watch it all on Paramount+. Plus. Serie A, AC Milan against Roma, Mike Lahoud. Both these mm. teams came back with wins. You cannot deny that they are, they have three points more now than they did at the start of this week. That game in Salerno, thrilling victory, 2-1 victory for AC Milan. Roma 1-0 over Bologna, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, when we did our Serie A preview, I was speaking very highly of Roma, and I think there's something there in their defence. But AC Milan... You know, I mean, we were talking about this with Fabrizio. Olivier Giroud still looks in great form, absolutely vital to their title challenge, which after Napoli's defeat, that mm. title challenge could be a whole lot liver. Where do you see this one going? And, and who are the players that can turn this game for both sides? I think this is going to be AC Milan versus Jose Mourinho. Mourinho will try to do the Mourinho masterclass, park the bus, sit back, and then counter with both wing backs, jettisoning up the field, they have the creativity in Paulo Dybala, who drew the penalty kick in their last matchup against Bologna. But what I worry about AC Milan, their best defender was actually Tammy Abraham in that match. They should be applauding him, and I'm sure the Stadio Olimpico was because of his goal line save. I give the slider edge to AC Milan in this game because in that matchup against Salernitana, that could have been 10-1. I mean, the, the chances they missed in that game were incredible. And I think that comes down to players coming back from the World Cup. Rafael Leal, man, this guy is a handful. This guy is the future of this club. And he will warrant and cement why they're offering him, as Fabrizio Romano said to us the other day, $7 million net for a proposed new contract. I look for him, Olivier Giroud, and Brahim Diaz to be the difference makers if they get this win. I find it quite interesting as well that all of the sort of big teams in Serie A came back with quite pragmatic wins. I mean, Inter got that big win over Napoli, which I know we'll touch on shortly, uh, you know, by one goal. Juve got a late winner against Cremonese as well. Uh, Roma, you know, held on after, what, a sixth-minute penalty to, to win that 1-1-0. And then AC, uh, you know, came out 2-1 winners over Salernitana. So to me, it feels like a lot of these sides at the top of the table at this moment in time are being quite cautious. They don't want to take any sort of unnecessary risks and potentially drop points which I don't know is maybe where Napoli got themselves caught out but for you know for this one I mean it feels to me like this is the perfect opportunity for Roma to really uh, you know dig out some classic Jose Mourinho shithousery and try and pull themselves you know into this race for the the Champions League spots like in a proper way for, for Milan they really can't afford to I mean 
I'd say they can probably get away with a draw. They can't really afford to to drop, you know, all of the points, you know, especially given that they've just won back some unexpected ground uh, over Napoli. Uh, and I think these are the kind of games which, you know, if Milan can't get the win in, then, it, you know, it might cost them, uh, you know, their shot to the title. Now, Nigel Rio Coca, we all know, those of it, those that listen regularly to this program as well, Kiss, out there will kiss know. of death. <laughs> the kiss of death famously tends that's to come me, that's from Michael. Michael that's Michael yeah, that, that is, that is Michael Lahoud's legendary kiss of death. But yeah. Nigel Rio Coker, I'm wondering if its transitory powers have passed on to you, you who were speaking in such glowing, such adoring terms of, of your Napoli side. And I think we have to be honest and give you at least some of the credit for their run to the Scudetto. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, their, their, you know, their, their, their star players are listening to House of Champions every week, feeling G'd up by <laughs> Nigel Rio Coca's latest bit of praise, and that's propelling them to greater heights. But Nigel, have you ruined their title challenge with your kind <laughs> words that led to their defeat against Inter Milan? Definitely not. I think we spoke about it. It's funny enough, James, that we spoke about it in previous pods recently, that all the teams who were undefeated in Europe now have actually come to an end. So every team now in Europe has been defeated. And eventually... In any title race, there's always that wake-up call. There's always that result that goes against you. And in the sense of Napoli, I believe this is going to be a good wake-up call for them. It's really going to shake them now to realise that they are serious title contenders and this title is theirs to throw away. It wasn't exactly like a complete convincing win. It was a great game of football. And we can still see why I really like and adore this Napoli side and what they do and how they play the game. I just feel that it's just a blip in the matrix, James, as you've seen many times covering all the leagues around the world, all the great title races we've seen. But it was inevitable. It was going to happen right after the World Cup. And as we keep discussing, we still haven't really seen how the effects of the World Cup have truly unfolded in clubs. It's still going to take a couple of weeks till we really get back into that, that rhythm and that groove to see where this lands. But I don't think that their title defence or their climb to the title is over. Mike, let's briefly touch from that game because I know you were watching yeah. it because my phone was lighting up with texts from you about a game <laughs> I wasn't really watching. Um, yeah. Inter Milan as well. We should talk about them. I mean, they will be looking at their trip to Monza as a very strong chance to get three points. They are certainly not out of the title race by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, it's sort of interesting. Three clean sheets in their, in their last three games. I think the last mm. time they conceded more than one goal was against Atalanta in early November. That defence looked a bit shaky early on, but do you think Simone Inzaghi is, is getting somewhere? I mean, we should say as well. Guys, 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 this is, this, is, this is all a polite way of James dancing around the elephant in the room, which is that Edin <laughs> yeah. Dzeko scored the winning goal against Napoli. Yes, like I told you, James. I told you, I'm put more respect. Right. I, you're surprised on Edin Dzeko. He's been no, I'm surprised games. James didn't bring up Lukaku. That's what I was no, thinking. Well, James would give yeah. him well, glory. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to bang the big drum on Big Rom and... Inter Milan. Ronald Lukaku was one of the best players on the pitch for about half an hour. I thought he was the best player on the pitch. He looked like the Lukaku from two years ago. He looked lighter. He looked more mobile. His ability to run off the ball, he was a handful. And I think that balance between he and Ned and Dzeko, you could see chemistry there. You could see more chemistry than you've probably seen with Latoura Martinez and any other striker. And Martinez is their leading goal scorer. 
Ed and Jekko, his ability to read and really be that playmaker of the front two, almost like a second striker, and Lukaku either holding up the ball or making runs, stretching back lines and stretching that Napoli back line, that was first class. And the rust a bit from Lukaku, that will come in time. I think this was a statement performance he needed to make after a very disastrous World Cup that he had with Belgium. I know injuries have been a crisis, a bit of a crisis for him this year, but there's a good feeling about Lukaku if he keeps progressing like this. For Inter, what I was most oppressed, impressed with was how physical they were with the Napoli players, how physical they were with Cavada. On the right-hand side, Cavada didn't do much in that game. The player for Napoli who I, I think the rush showed the most was Peter Peter Zielinski. He had a few chances at the top of the box and in and around the goal that he should have put away and had some clean looks that could have made it 1-1 and a smash grab result. They go back to Southern Italy with a, a tie and everyone's talking about how great Napoli continued to be. Napoli is an amazing side. They're still Serie A leaders and for good reason. But Inter, there's something about this Inter team that makes you want to hope a little bit. I love that comment from our good friend in the chat, Matt Osmond. Lukaku got the bad format of his system in Qatar. I mean, boy, whoa, did he. That was a colonic <laughs> irrigation of the second half. I know where this is going. Let's just say this. He didn't get his bad form of his system. He's just being Lukaku in a system that works with him, which yeah. means I don't heavily get involved in the build-up play. I just want to run in behind, run into space, use my strength, and full credit to him. So that's what works for him. He's not like a Giroud to be a playmaker, build up and be able to score and finish goals. So let's not say he got his bad form. He's just playing in a system in a club that's worked for him and showing the best Lukaku we've seen in his entire career. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I think people see maybe the the shape of Romelu Lukaku and expect a very different player to the player he is. You know, he's not very good but with his back to goal. Thomas Tuchel really discovered that he is a runner. Like in that Chelsea Tuchel system, he was perfect for one of the wide forward roles, and yet people mm. kept kind of wanting to use him as a target man. He he can't lay the ball off. As Belgium discovered, especially <laughs> when he's not fresh and firing, he's not very good in the air. He's not very good at, at close range. But if you get him in a position where he can turn and run at defenders, by God, do they get scared. Just finally talking Serie A, and uh, it's very dispiriting that we have to discuss this topic, but I think it has to be said, not remotely surprising when we talk about the fans, Samuel and Titi revealing in the last few hours, I believe that, uh, that he was racially abused by traveling Lazio fans. Now this is a real problem that, I mean, of course, Serie A and world football and, and the world has, but uh, the Lecce defender there, I mean, it's no great surprise to see that, that Lazio fans traveling down to uh, Puglia, did uh, did racially abuse him. And I think that's the saddest thing of all, isn't it, Jonathan Johnson, that, that when I saw this, I wasn't surprised and I'm sure you weren't either. No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I think if you were going to sort of put your money, I mean, obviously you wouldn't want to bet on something like this, but, you know, if you were to, to guess which kind of club was guilty of something like this, Lazio would be fairly close to the top of the list. I, I think it's doubly sad as well, because when you look at the season that Lecce having expected to battle against relegation, currently going quite well in mid-table, but for Umtiti, personally as well he's had a hell of a last couple of years you know sort of trying to battle back to salvage something of his career from putting his job on the line for France to help them win the World Cup in 2018 uh, you know and he's finally started to you know turn a bit of a corner you know he's going 90 minutes in this game Lecce picking up three important points uh, you know yeah it's it, it's hugely disappointing to, to hear something like that and I guess 
I guess, you know, maybe the silver lining of this is you could say that he had the last laugh because Lecce got the win, uh, you know, and ultimately Lazio go home uh, empty handed. But that's that's not the point. You know, the point is that, you know, this is an issue that needs to be stamped out, not just in Italy, but in other countries in uh, in Europe as well. You know, we've we've been discussing the, the situation with Vinicius Jr. in Spain as well. It's just, like you said, very dispiriting to keep having to bring this up. The fact that it's come up, what, three times already this week in our podcasts, uh, you know, speaks volumes, I think, unfortunately, and not in a good way. Uh, one of the things I want to applaud, and I, I think you said it so well, JJ, is why does this keep happening? It, it's so frustrating. It's disgusting. And poetic justice was served with the result. But I want to applaud how Leche, their team, and the players engaged this. They were supportive of Umtiti, and we've seen Syria clubs. Juventus, I'm looking at you. Bonucci, I'm looking at you. In the past, handled this the wrong way. Last time I remember hearing a, a controversial racial abuse experience like this, Moise Keane, absolutely racially abused, goes off the field, and his captain, Bonucci, says he should have stayed on the field. That was classless by Bonucci, and they've since moved on from that. But I think Lecce, their players, handled it well to show support to MTT. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Mike. Thanks, JJ. Coming up in the second half of today's House of Champions, we're going to talk Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna and the fallout from that. And of course, we are going to talk about the most wonderful time of the year. It's FA Cup third round in England. We'll be back with you right after the break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Stay up to date with every story and every heart-pounding moment from the world of elite-level soccer with the Golazzo Starting 11 newsletter from CBS Sports. It's your ultimate guide to the beautiful game, taking you beyond the pitch and around the globe with expert analysis of everything you need to know in the world of soccer. Sign up today for free at cbssports.com slash Golazzo. Once again, it's the Galazzo Starting Eleven newsletter, and you can sign up free at cbssports.com slash Galazzo. And I think in either this week's or next week's, we will doubtless be talking about the FA Cup third round, because if there's the one thing the FA Cup delivers most of the time, more often than not, not always, it is the giant killings. 
I'm thinking Wrexham and Arsenal. I'm thinking Shrewsbury Town and Everton. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. What else am I thinking? Nigel Rio Coca. Any that stand out for you? Any that you were involved in as a player? And of course, Nigel was always the giant. He was he was David or he was Goliath, never David. I have no fear. You're not wrong, James. Never had any fear whatsoever, regardless of who I'm playing against. Um honestly can't remember too many in my career, if I'm honest. I remember quite a few replays with lower league clubs that we should have won. But um, I can't remember any major upsets that we kind of had to face and take. I, I remember um, one, but it was in Europe. It wasn't domestically. We're talking about <laughs> being, being a long-suffering I, Villa fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be quiet. Anyway, no, I think, James, the thing for me is it's the magic of the cup. But I feel like that magic is slowly dying because just the gap of quality between the Premier League and a lot of these lower league clubs is just so far apart now. And the sad thing is when... A lot of these low league clubs get these big games, these big opportunities and moments. There's that fear factor. I feel most of the managers are so scared of losing that they set up their teams to be so defensively minded. Instead of putting that message out there, this is your moment, take it. You can play off pure adrenaline for 90 plus minutes. Go out there, get in their faces. They're just like every other professional. No real top quality player likes to be closed down. You can make a very... Good player, look average. When you close him down, don't give him the time. But when you show these teams too much respect, they'll play through you and they'll destroy you. So I feel that that is my little worry, but there is still moments and opportunities, but it's all about the mindset and approach of the so-called smaller clubs and attitudes that they have towards these giants. Yeah, I see what you're saying, Nigel. I mean, of course, you know, everyone wants another moment like Steven Gerrard scoring against West Ham in the final. I'm sure that was a, a particular... No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know, of course, Nigel Rio Coker was the, the captain of that West Ham side uh, that so, was so cruelly <laughs> robbed by Gerard in the dying minute. I'm going to send something to Des, the producer, that he can put up later if he likes. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would sort of disagree with that. I mean, it's only quite recently that we've had stories like um, Sutton United hosting Arsenal in, was it the mm. fifth or the sixth round, Lincoln City that year as well, um, you know, making these really deep runs into the competition. I think, you know, everything was always better in our day, wasn't it? And for me, you know, it doesn't get any better than, probably not one that's on many people's all-time list, but I still remember as a as a young fan, uh, at the Gay Meadow, Shrewsbury Town in Shropshire, Wayne Rooney and company visiting Shrewsbury, who that season would go on to be relegated from the Football League. And um, somehow, implausibly, Nigel Jempson uh, with two two free kicks, I think, if I remember rightly. However it was, he won it. Cue pandemonium on the stands of the, uh, the Gay Meadow. And I think that's still, for me, you know, I've been at Champions League finals. I've been, I've seen cups presented i've seen all that and i still don't think it gets better than that second nigel jempson goal against wayne rooney's everton um but we're not going to get much of that in the big game of the third round are we mike lahoud manchester city against chelsea i should say that we're talking right now before uh the first meeting of these two which is at stamford bridge in the premier league following that later in the week they'll be facing off at the etihad in the uh cup what are your thoughts on this game mike and is it going to be a bit of a sort of after the Lord Mayor's show vibe, a bit of the, you know, the underwhelming second act? No, I, I think because of the underwhelming result that City had in their last league match, I think Pep Guardiola will use this game as to gauge what response does he get and how does he get a response out of his team? Because they want to build up momentum because they have their eye. Yes, getting cups is massive, but they have their eye I'm catching up with Arsenal and ultimately getting that Champions League hardware. And you need to get some of your World Cup players 
continued up to speed. I expect rotation, given that some of they they have some of their big Premier League matches coming up as well in the remainder. Oh, caught oh. my fork <laughs> in the remainder of the year. I think this Body. is actually a. No, what? no, no, no. We need to stop here, Mike LaHood. You can pick up on your point later. Why do you have a fork with you in your podcast studio? Was, you know what? I was eating my lovely breakfast, fried egg, a couple of problems. And I got animated, knocked over, kept my blueberries on, kept my eggs on, but knocked over my fork. Sorry, There's sorry. Are the eggs and the blueberries on the same plate? I mean, they're, oh, they're, st- yes, they're they still are. on the plate. They're going to yeah. be a bit cold that's by the time we finish this. <laughs> well, there's a microwave. There's a microwave right down the hallway. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. But to, to finish up that point. No, is- no, 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 no. no. I've been on your breakfast here. So the can blue, you, can you show the plate? And the egg can you like, see the hold it up? <laughs> can we show the plate? Yeah? Yes, show the plate. Ladies, I mean, remember this is a visual medium. So oh what? The egg is sunny no? side up is what? Yeah, right. Friday. There now, while you're currently doing a podcast, this just goes to show Mate, the professionalism I'm not of it. Americans. I'm Why are we surprised what's going on with the when we've got Michael doing this? It's like oh, a vitamin C heavy oh, shot. man, I'm getting I'm getting slaughtered more for this than my uh, my my Lazio predictions, my House of Champions predictions. You know what? Someone else take it. I'm gonna eat my. Yeah, I mean, JJ, what I would say to you is like. You know, don't let anyone in France see what we've just seen on that plate because we'll never get listened to again. We'll be banned from French Spotify, French Stitcher. Um, but I mean, on the, the subject the of obvi- Chelsea, the man. obvious, the obvious question is, where's the bread to start with? Uh, the, the bread's in, well, actually, you can't eat any bread because we're on a, a whole thirty diet. So next month, oh, Jesus Christ, I know, man. His body it's is a James, let's go, James. Let's just go, let's go to Chelsea anyway. I just want to say <laughs> for me. How worried are you guys about Chelsea and what you're seeing? Obviously, there's more reports coming out of Chelsea now that some of their top scouts are leaving because they're trying to change their system in the sense of becoming more analytics-related than actual physically scouting. And these scouts are going to rivals. And the reason why I say this is let fans know that Chelsea have had some top-class players. Their scouting system was not broken. And you look at some of these top players. They came through Chelsea's academy. Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, just to name a few that were let go by Chelsea. And now for an ownership group that doesn't really know too much about football, to be happy to dismantle some of the top scouts in their system and everything else that we're seeing with players that they're being linked to, how worried are you about Chelsea? Well, I would be extremely, extremely worried. Not just, I mean, about the way that some of their business is being done. I mean, let's look at the player that, you know, as we record right now, has just signed Benoit Badia-Shiel, please correct me if I'm wrong on my pronunciation, JJ, but this is a left-sided centre-back of, of talent and promise, but that's a position where they've only recently signed Mark Kukurea. They've signed uh, Kaladu Koulibaly as well, who can play in that position. That's all since the uh, current regime took over. Kukurea, I believe, signed a seven-year contract. Badia-Shiel, seven and a half. Now, when you're paying 60 million, 50 million for a player, putting them on that long contract looks great on your books when you're amortising that whole fee over seven and a half years it doesn't look anywhere near as as bad from a financial perspective but I mean I look at this and I think does does you know do do, do these managers fully appreciate or does, does Todd Bowley fully appreciate kind of what a seven and a half year contract means in football because it isn't you know this isn't the NFL the NBA and I don't want to fall into that trap of assuming that American owners don't know what they're doing because it works differently in America but if you sign someone to a seven and a half year, or I mean, you can't anymore, but if say in the NBA, you sign someone to a seven and a half year contract, that's pretty much it most of the time. You're definitely paying them that wage. If Badia Shield is great, 
he's still going to want a pay rise. But of course, if he's a disaster, the current wage you have him on means no one will take him for anything other than, you know, subsidized wages and a year long loan. Um, and you're on the hook for pretty much his in half of his professional career. I guess the question there then, Jonathan Johnson, is is this going to be a move that in a year's time we'll be packaging alongside the Bakayokos and the drink waters and the Baba Ramans as as what on earth were they thinking? Badi Ashil, is he any good? I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot to, to, to kind of sift through that we've just uh, spoken about. Uh, I mean, in terms of Bad Yashin himself, very good pronunciation, by the way. Um, he's, a, he's a talent. There's no doubt about that. I do expect him to be a defender of high quality in the future. Uh, I do think that he will feature for France as well. Uh, you know, now that he's made the move, uh, obviously he debuted with Monaco. But... If we're talking about like the verdict being in in a year's time, I, I don't think, well, assuming that it goes how I expect it to go, I don't think the verdict should be in in a year's time because I think that he's going to need time to develop before he's ready to start for Chelsea. I think we should be starting to discuss whether he should be a starter for Chelsea in about 12 months' time, at least, if not maybe 18 months. But obviously, that's not really going to jive with what uh you know Chelsea are you know perhaps you know thinking for him I think that if it's been well thought out uh you know this should be sort of a, a William Saliba move where he goes on a couple of loan spells or a lengthy loan spell with one club continues his development uh and then uh you know comes back uh you know ready to compete and potentially be uh you know a regular starter if you're looking at those options uh that Chelsea have at the moment on paper Badiashil is not going to start ahead of them. You know, when Thiago Silva is fit, Badiashil is not going to play ahead of Thiago Silva. He's not going to play ahead of uh, Kaladu Kulubali either. So, you know, this is definitely one for the future for me. Now, you know, did they absolutely need him? Okay, we can make the argument that, you know, left-sided center, central defenders are very rare in the game. Uh but, you know, like you said, it, it is a huge risk. And I actually think it's a risk from Badia Shila as well to agree to such a long contract. Because when you look at some of the players who haven't, you know, sort of succeeded, you know, he's playing alongside, he'll be playing alongside Fofana, who, you know, we've forgotten about as well when we're talking about Chelsea's defensive options. But Fofana made the jump from, uh, you know, probably a, a lower down league on club at the time, Saint-Etienne, uh, to a lower level Premier League club, despite the fact that Leicester obviously have won the Premier League before making that move to Chelsea. This is a huge jump for, for Badia Shield. I don't see an obvious way for him straight into that starting 11. Uh, and I think that he risks, you know, his his development, which to be fair, he needs in certainly in terms of his consistency, uh, you know, sort of coming off course unless there is uh, a lone move that, uh, that has been lined up. I guess we will see. But uh, it, to me, it seems very, very risky. And once again, uh, you know, quite, um, you know, quite scattergun really for, for Chelsea's transfer approach. It's basically, let's try and buy everyone up who, you know, is being linked with any semi-decent clubs so that nobody else can have them. I mean, the, the saddest thing I think in all of this is that Badia Shield will arrive probably before the game tonight and be paraded in front of the fans, the fans who are livid that they might not get Enzo Fernandez now. Yes, very good point. And one thing I did want to briefly hit on before we move on, because there are some other big games to talk about, but as we speak... Benfica head coach Roger Smith has been scathing of Chelsea, uh, accusing them of not negotiating seriously over Enzo Fernandez when they were told to pay the uh, release clause um, of 120 million euros for Enzo Fernandez. Um, so that's not going great. They're trying to steal Mikhailo Mudrik, the player who has publicly insisted he wants to uh, 
he wants to go to Arsenal. And I'm not sure how well that's going to go either. So troubling times at Chelsea and not a lot to convince you that, that they know what they're doing in the future. On the subject of clubs that haven't always known what they're doing, Mike Lahoud, <laughs> and I do hope that you're not going to interrupt us with any any more snacks. No, Manchester United did, maybe didn't know what they were doing in the past, but look, everything's rosy in the garden. Four games since Cristiano Ronaldo left, nine scored, zero conceded, and now the chance to win a trophy, perhaps. The FA mm, Cup, mm, mm. second most victories of all time. I mean, it's you know it could be something to really mark a good season for Ekten Hag, couldn't it? Yeah, and it comes at an interesting time. They have three matches in a short span. They play tomorrow, then they play on the 10th, I think, in the EFL Cup, which you know, when you have multiple cups that you can win, it raises some questions about where do you put your priorities. That game against Man City coming up will be looming large and heavy on some of these players, and Ten Hag will have to be smart of how he rotates. I think you'll see more of a true starting 11 in this match because they will use this momentum to go into the city match and you'll see more of a rotated team in the FL Cup matchup coming on the 10th. For United, what I love has been the play of two midfielders in particular. Marcus Rashford is scoring the goals. He looks rejuvenated. He looks like the main man in attack. But it's been the consistent play of of, uh, Casemiro and Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen has arguably been their best signing and best player this season. And Casemiro, this guy does not get enough credit. His reading of the game, his ability to intercept balls in the attacking half is something that gives this team a new dimension that they have not had in years, not since the Michael Carrick days under Fergie. I think if he continues to improve, and he's also chipping in with goals in league play and in cup tournaments. I mean, this guy is the real deal and he's doing it in his thirties. I think if Tin Hog can get more buy-in and continued buy-in from the likes of Anthony to get back in form, uh, Anthony Martial, the two Anthony's getting them on the score sheet in cup competitions like this, I think Manchester United could end up with a really successful season. Nigel, uh, Frank Lampard very much teetering on the edge. Is this a game he might want to lose in normal circumstances, but kind of finds himself having to win? Big game counter Frank Lampard, James, and you know it. He's under pressure. That loss to Brighton in the Premier League was basically one of the final nails in the coffin. And I think that it's just a matter of time. You know, we've seen links before. Personally, I've seen the links, and I believe it could something that can happen of Wayne Rooney returning to Everton to become Everton manager. And I feel that people would say, oh, you're crazy. Why Wayne Rooney doesn't have the experience? He hasn't done nothing. He's an Evertonian. He's one of their own. And I think that the fans will take more love and kindness to him, to Wayne Rooney, and give him the time to build Everton and turn Everton around because he understands the fans from a deeper level than Frank Lampard would. And Frank Lampard's not stupid. He knows when he takes jobs in the Premier League. All these managers do. There's pressure that comes with it. So he's really under pressure. And if it's another loss, I can see Frank Lampard probably getting the sack now. I love that Rooney idea. And I think we have to say he's got some experience at dealing with, with crisis clubs. And it's hard to know whether Derby's good preparation or hasn't even given him enough insight into the disaster that is Everton. We are going James, to come back to the FA Cup. Go on, Nigel. Well, I just wanted to say quickly, you're right in what you're saying, but I think the difference of Wayne Rooney going there is he understands the fans at a deep level. Agreed. The fans look at him agree. as one of theirs. So that's why I think that plays a complete different dynamic of looking at that. 
situation. Also, also, when was the last time that he was linked with the job? Because he might feel with the full second half of the season that he actually has time to turn their form around and get them away from the relegation zone. Whereas before, he might have been walking into what I think many people felt was doomed. I mean, yeah, it, we were talking about him when Everton ago. looked like they were dropping out of the Premier League. Yeah, I think that was when Lampard um, left or arrived about a year ago. And I think maybe now, like you say, JJ, he... He might almost benefit from the expectations having dropped to the level where I don't think anyone would think he was a failure if he took them down. That squad is a squad when you run through the starting eleven that that looks like it should be hovering above the uh, the drop zone. I mean, Lampard's still maybe not getting the best out of it, but it's not a great squad. Um, so maybe now is the right time for him to jump. Right, we will be coming back to the FA Cup before the end of the show. Um, but before then, I need to get give Des a moment to uh, to pull up some FA Cup fixtures. Before then, let's talk about everyone's favourite topic for this week. Everyone's co- oh, actually the, the fixtures are here. Let's do it now and hope that Des can fix this in the edit. I'll start with myself because this was my idea, and I uh, therefore I think it's incumbent on me to to make a start. This is FA Cup third round. This is giant killing. Sunday, Saturday, every day of the week. My take for this, and I want everyone to give me an idea of who they think is the most likely uh, big Premier League team or big championship mm. club that might fall to a giant. But mine is it's quite a simple one, quite an obvious one. Gillingham against Leicester City. Leicester are dropping like mm. a stone right now. They are really, really struggling. And uh, I think for them, they're one of those teams that will almost be looking at this thinking, actually... Not the end of I'm the world going. if we go out of the FA Cup. Nigel, you're next. Go on. Burnley. Burnley to take out Bournemouth. <laughs> Is that a shock? <laughs> hey, Bournemouth are a Premier League team. Burnley a championship team. They're still a giant killing. JJ? I feel like I should go for the low-hanging fruit and say, well, guys, look at it. At least one of Man City or Chelsea will go out uh, in the third <laughs> round. But uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid that. It's funny that you mentioned Gillingham away because I got a, a reminder on my Facebook that I went to Villa away at Gillingham 14 or 15 years ago. Bloody cold. Uh, and I think we won 2-1 with like a late, uh, late Milner penalty, something like that. Uh, actually, my pick is going to be Hull to knock out Fulham. Yes, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the one that we're staying away from. I think Wolves under Lopetegui will beat Liverpool. The inconsistency of Liverpool continues. The Virgil Van Dyke is he injured? Will he be out for the game? If he is, and that stays, that is a massive loss for Liverpool in a cup competition like this. Wolves a bit of a resurgence. He's didn't injured. get the win against Villa, but I like this matchup for Wolves. I'm picking Wolves. I can't believe Mike. no one Van Dyke is injured. But yes, Van Dyke is injured. We're just waiting for how long. Van Dyke is injured. We're just waiting to find out how, how long, long he's out for. So yeah, that's a great shout. Yeah. Right. Now it's the bit we've all been waiting for, the baffling complexities that are the case involving you Greg Berhalter <laughs> and Giovanni Rayner. I don't really know kind of how to start this off. So Mike Lahoud, can you do yeah. my job for me and give everyone a, a quick pricey, a quick explanation of of where we are right now in this case. Uh, so breaking news keeps toppling breaking news. A couple of days ago, as we talked about here on House of Champions, Greg Berhalter issued a statement saying that he was being blackmailed and he had been blackmailed at the FIFA World Cup. December 11th is a day that will live in infamy for the U.S. men's national team after this World Cup because the cat's out of the bag and the mystery person is that was blackmailing him turns out to be part of the Reina family 
Danielle Reyna, the mother of Gio Reyna. You know him from Borussia Dortmund. You can catch him in the Champions League when it returns here on Paramount Plus. But it just, it's stinky. It's awful. It, it, you know, it, for those of you who know the soccer structure here in America, it, it's, it's, it reminds me of a, a system called ODP, Olympic Development Team, where your parents are the ones who have all the say. They jump in and you just sit there by the wayside. It, it screams of the problems of youth soccer here in America. And now it, it's walking its way into the national team. It's laughable. It's disgraceful. And it's not a good look on the U.S. men's national team, on Greg Berhalter, and especially on the Reynas. I think this is coming at a crucial time and really a crossroads for the men's national team. They have a gold cup in July, and this is a big distraction that they don't need right now. Well, I'm just going to jump in. I'm not going to say too much on it, James, but this goes to say why I say suburb babies play soccer in america this is why a lot of the world does not respect american soccer when you've got this kind of incident happening that could literally be a soap opera of one of my ex-teammate doesn't like the attitude of my son so he embarrassed my son publicly so now i have to embarrass him with some of his own personal family things it is messy it is absolutely embarrassing to the highest degree and if u.s soccer now don't clean house and get rid of all this intertwining, because it seems like an entanglement is the best way to put it, with all these people involved, embarrassing U.S. soccer and embarrassing themselves. It's just unbelievable. But I'm not surprised, because for me, I feel that whatever's happened has happened. Yes, if a story came out and you didn't like about it, but there's no way now parents of a, a U.S. international player could go in there and try and start doing things and unearthing dirt on a manager and embarrass the manager like that and embarrass U.S. soccer just because their child got a little discipline and they didn't like it. But it just sums up what U.S. soccer is about. I've seen it myself. I've seen all these academies here. And with all these Gino Rainers and all these players that make it through, USA is missing on millions of talented players who can't do this pay-for-play system with these suburb babies. And if you don't go through adversity as a soccer player, you're not going to grow. Because now Gino Reyna is going to go play against other colleagues. They're going to make fun of him to say, oh, what, you're going to get your mum and dad to stand up for you now if I kick you in the you-know-what. And it, it's just so embarrassing for me. I'm sorry. And I just find it so laughable. And it just makes me feel justified, James, to say that this is a suburb sports for suburb babies. One quick thing to to throw in alongside that, and I know, JJ, you want to speak on this as well. But, I mean, it was notable as well. And obviously it's flown a little under the radar uh, Ricardo Pepe's comments when he was told that he uh, didn't make the World Cup squad. And of course, you know, I don't know what that's like. I know what disappointment in my professional career is like. Um, but when he said that he then hung he hung the phone up on Greg Berhalter when Greg Berhalter had run to, to, rung to, to let him know the disappointing news and that he hadn't asked for feedback as well as to why he hadn't made it, um, was certainly, was eye-opening. And like, you know, Nigel says there, I mean, it, it does... you know these things do maybe prompt questions about the attitude around the u.s team and of course we remember that that geo rayner according to berhalter was nearly sent home for the way he acted jj what's your what's your take on this watching it from afar in france well first of all i want to congratulate the us mnt on finally becoming an elite footballing nation just just got the couple of world (laughs) cup titles missing now Uh, i'm sure they'll come at some point before you know in our lifetime 
but no, I mean, honestly, mm. is is there not an argument to say that everybody is in the wrong here? Berhalter was in the wrong to sort of, uh, you know, air his dirty laundry with Gio Reyna or have that aired. Uh, you know, and the, the Reyna family, you know, for for their role in in all of this, uh, you know, also wrong. Uh, I, I think Nigel hit the, the nail on the head, you know, completely right. There's way too much entitlement there. Uh, and, you know, not having hunger in terms of your sort of development and really becoming a top, top player. Uh, you know, I think that there is a very strong argument that there's not enough of that in the US game because of the way that, that you know, youth football is uh, is set up in the States. Personally, I think the situation is totally untenable, almost for both parties. I don't see a way that Berhalter can really continue as manager. I think it's already quite telling that I think it's going to be his assistant, Hudson, who's going to you know run the USMNT at the end of the month for the friendly games. Uh, and also, how, how do you bring somebody like Rayner in, uh, you know, back in, in the future? Certainly not if Berhalter remains coach, but even with a different coach, you know, somebody who presumably will also know, uh, you know, Rayner, considering that he, uh, especially Claudio Rayner, obviously, because he's, you know, such a, a big, uh, you know, sort of part of, uh, you know, American footballing history, certainly in a modern sense. Uh, you know, I also think it's a bad look for MLS, given that, you know, Claudio Reyna is obviously in a position. I'm not going to expect Mike to talk about that, but, you know, he is somebody who has an active club role. It is, uh, you know, it, it is hugely, I mean, I'm not going to say hugely entertaining, but it's it, it's kind of, you know, you can't take your eyes away from the situation for a minute to see how it develops because, it, you know, there are so many different moving parts to this uh, scandal. Thanks for that, everyone. I mean, look, this is, like like Nigel says, this is a soap opera. And that's why, I mean, there are some really important issues here that we need to unpack. And equally, it has to be said, I can't keep my eyes away from it in that soap opera way. Uh, Comment here from Andy SVT8. House of Champions greater than in soccer we trust. Well, look, you'll find no arguments from anyone on this panel. And thanks for the kind words. Brilliant stuff. US soccer just found its new controversy. However, (laughs) yes, I mean, we are are talking a burbling rivalry. This is when I discover that Andy is one of Dez's burner accounts. Or Mike (laughs) LaHood's as well. However, if you do want the ultimate breakdown on everything going on here, and I listened to their last episode and it was excellent and so informative. And these guys really know the situation here. I mean, if you've been following Heath Pierce on Twitter, you know he was ahead of the game on this. So remember, 3 p.m. Eastern today, Jimmy, Charlie and Heath, they'll be breaking it down on In Soccer Week Trust. Andy, I guess you won't be joining them, but you'll be back here soon. We'll be bringing you more on this. Don't you worry. Right. Let's head into it. Nigel Rio Coca promised us that in this audio podcast, we would be seeing a photo very soon. It's news to me. Here it is. Nigel Rio Coca. Is that with Prince William? Look how handsome he is. Yes. Did he hit you? <laughs> he hit me. You must be crazy. We did to Prince Harry. He looks like he's about to taser you. So what's going through your head, Nigel, when, when Stephen Gerrard takes that shot? Mm. You know what? It's just it's, the penny's just no. dropped. He te- he tells you to join Villa at this moment, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does, to be fair. So Villa needs you. Uh, no, honestly, for me, it was just because I jumped to try and block it. And as I've turned, you just see the flow of the ball just look like it's going out and come back in in a Roberto Carlos type of way. And we had Shaka Hislop in goal, one of the best goalkeepers at the time there as well. Fantastic goalkeeper, but no keeper was saving that. And it was just a fantastic strike. And that's what the magic of the cup is. It literally was. I mean, I, I remember this final as clear as day. JJ and Mike, I'm sure you're the same. And it stayed in the history books, hasn't it? I think people would probably say it's the greatest FA Cup final this century. For One you, Nigel, uh, 
on you. Is it? Does that make it easier, like that it, it ended in such heartbreak to know that you were part of this special occasion? Or make, I mean, I could imagine it could make it harder as well. It hurts, but you know what, James? My mentality is this: and when I talk to young players and give them advice, I always say, as long as you can look at yourself on the pitch and know you gave everything, you left everything you could on the pitch. That's all that matters. You can't change moments like that and when things like that happen. And for me, the way that I say it and I know that I did is because every fan that you meet that speaks about that FA Cup says how much of an amazing FA Cup it was. And even the neutrals who watched it said it was just an amazing game. So there's no one that's ever come to say, oh, you could have done this, you could have done that. And that's why I always give the advice to the young players. Leave everything you can on the pitch. And when you do, you'll feel probably a little bit more satisfied as much as you've lost the game and you're still a winner, but at least you left everything on the pitch. And then, you know, there's never going to be any doubts in your mind or any, you know, second thoughts. Go and dig that game out on YouTube if you can, people that are watching, because we're wrapping up here. Um, I mean, I'm just remembering Dean Ashton. I'm sure everyone else is the oh, same. Yeah. God, what a player that guy was. Um, but that is it for us. Nigel, Mike, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. And to you, watching and listening at home. Thanks so much for joining us on House of Champions. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help us get out there. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Anywhere that you listen to your podcast, we're there. We're also available on YouTube. Subscribe to us on the channel. Give, leave us a review. Leave us a like. And we will see you very soon on House of Champions. Except Nigel has one more thing to say, which probably means I need to record this ending again. But Nigel, speak. <laughs> no, you don't. Great ending. I was just going to say, Ladies and gentlemen, tune in for the next time we're on that we're going to find out who the father is in this great USA soap opera. Oh, jeez. No, I actually, actually, I mean, I, I usually don't interrupt during this last thing. And Benji, you, you closed it out well. But I think th this just makes me sad. It makes me sad for the state of U.S. soccer right now. And, and the, the person involved in all this whose voice we haven't heard from, and, and it's to her preference of not giving her voice to it. I, I think of Greg Berhalter's wife. At the end of the day, I really feel for her that she has to relive this in the public eye, given what happened 31 years ago. And this was not Danielle Reyna's news to share. This was not the Reyna family's news to share. And and things like this just really take the the, the happiness and, and the celebration of what the U.S. men's national team did. But so my my thoughts and just thinking of her during this time more than anyone else. I agree wholeheartedly on that. And I think it's really important that as much as we cannot help because this is human drama, even if it's, you know, whether it's fictionalized or real, people can't help but be sucked into the stories. We do have to remember that, you know, this isn't, it feels like a soap opera, but it isn't because the participants are really there. It's happening in front of our eyes. And of course, you know, as, as Mike has explained very eloquently there, um, you know, there are people here who haven't shared their story and, and maybe they were the people that should have been allowed to to do so. It's, it's dreadfully sad that this story's come out in that way. I'll just remind you, you know, we will be talking a lot more here on House of Champions, but of course, the guys on In Soccer We Trust will be picking it up throughout the coming days because I, I feel like this is a story that's going to run and run, not just for the next few days, not just for the next few weeks, but over the careers of these players, these coaches. And um, I mean, that that certainly is the, the sad part of it. And on that note, we will say goodbye. Uh, I'm not going to record the outro again and make you listen to it. But do please, if you're joining us right at the end somehow, do please make sure to uh, leave us a review. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere. And we will, be, we will be back oh so soon to talk about all the events in European football and beyond. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Bye-bye.